Hi, and welcome to episode 11 of the Untethered Podcast. Today, we have Danielle Blankenship, CRNA, certified registered nurse anesthetist who has been in this practice for 15 years. Her healthcare knowledge helped her in her battle for her youngest son's life, or at least the quality of it. The knowledge that she gained has opened her eyes to a world that she knew nothing about and has helped her find the right help to treat her oldest son as well. So join us today as you hear about her son's story, her story and experience as a mom, and what she was able to do advocating as a professional and a mama bear to help get her son the best treatment she could possibly get him. Quick disclaimer, all information, content, and material of this podcast are the opinions of the speakers and is for the informational purpose only and not intended to serve as a substitute for the consultation, diagnosis, and or medical treatment of a qualified healthcare provider. Welcome to the Untethered Podcast. I am your host, Hallie Balkin. I'm a certified orofacial myologist, feeding specialist, and mentor. This podcast is all about getting your questions answered and collaborating with colleagues to bring you the most up-to-date information in the orofacial myofunctional therapy, tethered oral tissue, and airway space. I challenge you to keep an open mind and join my mission to get this information out to the masses. Let's get started. Thank you, Danielle, for being with us today. I'm so excited to learn more about your experience and have you share that with us. So welcome. Welcome to the podcast and thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So um, first, I would love to learn a little bit about your background, um, you know, in the medical arena. I know we're going to talk more about your story with your son and your family, what you've been through, but tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, I'm a certified registered nurse anesthetist. I have been for about 15 years. Which has allowed me the ability to navigate this world maybe better than some moms. Mm. Uh, I kind of would say, as an anesthetist, I have experience with airways and breathing and sounds much more than most people, mm. um, even most people in healthcare, um, which I think is something that has helped me out very much in this whole process. I also have learned to be a healthcare advocate for my patients, which has also helped me out for my family and and friends. So that also is something that I value very much. And I definitely attribute to my training as a nurse anesthetist and as a nurse, ICU nurse for years. So it's a, it's a unique position in many ways. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And I think that is a really cool background to have. And so I'm curious to hear as you share your story, how that's helped you and um, you know, learn a little bit more about Ethan, who I think is, you know, that's where we're going to go next. So tell us, tell us about Ethan's story. Tell us about your journey as a mom. And with that, you know, medical uh, piece in your back pocket, you know, I'm curious, to hear, <laughs> you know, how he was diagnosed so quickly. And, you know, as, as we say, the rabbit hole that you then went down with all the other right, right. medical treatments. Well, it's funny because you say quickly, which is relatively speaking from what I now know, it was very quickly, but it felt like eternity when we were in the middle of it. But um, Ethan was born fairly normal delivery pregnancy um, and very shortly, like within hours of delivery, was diagnosed with a tongue tie. Um, he was diagnosed with the IBLC at the hospital where we delivered. It was amazing. Um, she immediately gave me two names of some really reputable people to take care of him. Um, we made an appointment with the one that she told us was really, really well qualified to deal with posterior tongue ties. I had no idea anything about tongue ties. I'd heard of them. I'd taken care of people for them on occasion. Um, not something I commonly see in the operating room, but we do on occasion do them under general anesthesia. 
Mm -hmm. Um, so I knew it was something that would be relatively simple to take care of, or I should say, I thought it was something (laughs) that could be relatively easily taken care of. So it didn't really matter to me which one we chose because Mm -hmm. they're both qualified and they're both highly recommended. So we made an appointment with the one that seems better qualified to deal with Ethan's specific type of tongue tie and went to our pediatrician. Seems simple. Um, he couldn't see us for about six days, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, so we went to the pediatrician and she said, well, I don't really particularly care for him. I'd rather you see the other one. And again, it's a totally different person referring us to this gentleman. So we thought, great, he's coming from all angles. He must be fine. Mm-hmm. I had friends that had had him take care of their children. Everybody said he was great. No big deal. He could see us sooner, even better. Mm-hmm. We were bottle feeding. We had to be creative with how we bottle fed to get him mm-hmm. to eat anything. I mean, breast was definitely not an option. Okay. And we were successfully feeding, even though we weren't able to overcome some bilirubin. We ended up in the hospital the day he got his tongue tie released the first time um, okay. with uh, bilirubin admission and lots of ER trips. And But everything else just seemed normal. Um, we just became very vigilant in feeding. He was gaining weight. He was eating three and four ounces at a time burping like a champ, wasn't spitting up. He was awesome. He was a great baby. And we even joked one day as one of my friends, my husband's friends was holding him like, don't worry, you don't need a burp cloth. He doesn't (laughs) spit up. (laughs) I remember those words coming out of my mouth, but I feel like karma just came back to haunt me. Oh no. (laughs) He did spit up just a little bit that day. That was, that was the funny part. But then a few days later when he was four weeks old, he projectile vomited. I mean, Mm. just an amazing amount of vomit and literally in that moment started stridering. Oh. And I mean, and how did he panic? How old was he at this point? He was four weeks old, almost four to the old. day. Okay. Um, and he literally just had this all, instantly became noisy breathing. Um, and of course, I thought it was vocal cords because it sounds exactly like someone who has anesthesia when they have a problem with their vocal cords waking up, it's exactly what it sounded like. So no big deal. He clearly wasn't in distress. Okay. It was the middle of the night. He just vomited. He clearly wasn't having any issues with his breathing. By my assessments, I could tell that. And I- Thankfully you have that background. Yeah, <laughs> I do. I do. So like a little bit of mom, a little bit of this is what I do every single day. Sat up most of the night worried about him, but definitely could tell he was okay so we could get to our regular pediatrician in the morning. Don't want to take him to the ER and expose him to things that right. seemed like a terrible idea. So we went to the pediatrician the next morning, but our pediatrician was in Italy. Mm. So we saw somebody else in the office who I'm sure is a great doctor, but wasn't our doctor and didn't want to make any decisions for our baby. I could tell he was holding back. Okay. Um, he said that everything was fine. We had white diapers, no big deal. Just, mm-hmm. you know, come back. And so we did this for a couple of days and we started losing weight. Saw another pediatrician two days later. Now we've lost a lot more weight. Mm-hmm. I said, clearly this baby has reflux. Can we just get some Zantac? Because that's what you give babies with reflux, right? You give them Zantac. So I coerced her into giving me Zantac. She didn't want to give us anything for reflux. And the Zantac made him worse. Oh. So... My pharmacology experience tells me that Zantac works immediately. I had that argument every single time I had a conversation with the doctor for the next three weeks, but that's beside the point. Um, So we stopped it and 
when my pediatrician did get home a few days later, we actually, the day before she came back, we went to a breastfeeding class with the same IBILC that had diagnosed Ethan at the hospital. And she's awesome and very low, low key. She said, oh, don't worry, we'll get him to eat. And immediately figured out she couldn't get him to eat with a bottle or anything. Mm -hmm. um, she finally got him to eat a little bit and then he projectile vomited everywhere. And that was the most he had eaten in that week that we were waiting. Because once he started shredding, he stopped eating. He, he literally would take MLs at a time. I got neonatal bottles out and was literally counting MLs of food yeah. like he was in the NICU. Um, so went from three ounces to pretty much nothing for a week. Got to the hospital or got to the pediatrician the next day and she just proudly announced he had pyloric stenosis. No big deal, easy fix. We're gonna go to the hospital. We're gonna get him an ultrasound. And it, this is a simple surgery. Calm down, mom. We don't need to worry about this. Calm down, mom. Geez, okay. Calm down. <laughs> yeah, it's only been a week that I can't feed my kid while everyone's blowing me off. But you calm down, yeah. <laughs> so I take him to the doctor, or I take him to the hospital, took him to Hopkins, and you know, they immediately do this ultrasound and they're gonna find this pyloric stenosis because they told me that that's what it is. She palpated this, that's what it is. No big deal. So I'm, of course, on the way to the hospital calling all my friends that work at Hopkins. Hey, Ethan's going to need surgery. Who can take care of him? I need to make sure my baby's in good hands. This is what you do when you're in healthcare. Of course. You call in the favors when it's your own child and you yes. know people who work there. Absolutely. Exactly. So, um, and God bless that beautiful nurse and anesthetist I tell too, because she brought food for me to the ER and everything, because you know, Aww. we take care of each other. Hours and hours go by. We're in the ER for forever because they just can't find out what's wrong with Ethan and it's not pyloric stenosis. So mm -hmm. over the next five or six days, we did everything you can imagine. Ultrasounds of everything, tests of everything, barium swallows. Um, I, I can't even remember all the tests because I was exhausted because I'm yeah. still pumping and feeding and it takes an hour to feed him an ounce and then he throws it up anyway. We just continued that for days in the hospital. And the whole time that that was happening, I kept saying, where's the speech and language pathologist? They should be able to help me with this. Well, she's not available. So we're going to get you an OT. And I'm like, and that was news to me. Like I knew OTs helped you learn to eat, but not necessarily like in an infant setting, which now I know they do a lot of them. And the woman that showed up was awesome. And she was able to feed Ethan. Um, but nobody else could replicate it like she could. Oh, when I found out later, she also had an infant with feeding issues. So uh -huh. she had the mom touch to go with her training. Mm -hmm. um, so finally, we, after days of me complaining that we hadn't seen a speech and language pathologist, we did. And she was immediately flabbergasted at how bad Ethan was. But we had been in the hospital now for like six days. So now I'm just annoyed. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> And she said, she's probably annoyed that nobody called her in sooner and you're annoyed that nobody. <laughs> well, apparently she's frequently not available, but that's a whole other issue. Oh, okay. okay. Um, so she demands that we stop feeding him by mouth mm. because she doesn't think he's safe. But at this point I've had two and a half weeks of him eating like this. And, and you I also had the swallow study, right? Well, we hadn't had a swallow study yet. Oh, okay. Um, we, that we, that was why I wanted the SLP so we could do a swallow study. Mm -hmm. And so she decided by watching him eat that he wasn't safe to eat and she wanted to put an NG tube in. And at that point I was like, we've gone this long. We can do the feeding, we can do the swallow eval yet tomorrow. I'm not, not feeding him by mouth anymore. Mm -hmm. So we fought through the night. We got to the swallow eval and you know, they actually let me, you know, let up and feed him, you know, the, what I guess is barium. Um, 
the interesting part was because Barry, she talked about how it would make it thicker mm-hmm. and he chugged that bottle for the first time in like two weeks. Oh, like, wow. This is just a crazy concept. He's eating better because it's thicker. Uh-huh. And the whole time we did this volleyball, she just was flabbergasted at how much air he took in. And this noise is probably all the air in his esophagus and it must be crushing his trachea and oh my goodness. And his mouth is so wide. And she was like confused and stunned. And clearly this woman is one of like the most notarized SLPs around and she's Hopkins guru. And she had no idea what was wrong with him, but told me to go to Target and buy a Dr. Brown's bottle because that's what everybody else in America uses. That must be what's going to fix my son. So like a good parent who's exhausted and desperate and doesn't know what else to do, we went to Target, to Target. and yep. Dr. Brown's bottle. <laughs> and of course, he wouldn't eat out of it. And of course, it didn't change anything. Um, so I went back to what we've been doing sort of okay with, which was just like the basic like meal nipple that you get at a hospital with your, your formula or whatever. Mm-hmm. And... We fought through that. Started to get better. They wanted to do a sleep evaluation. So they did a sleep study one of the last days we were there. Um, only night I didn't stay in the hospital with him because I couldn't bring myself to watch that. Mm-hmm. And the next day, we, you know, when they did the, reviewed it, they discovered that not only did he have noisy breathing, which everyone had decided had to be laryngeal malaysia, <laughs> but he also had um, severe obstructive sleep apnea. Wow. And they wanted to send us home on three meds. We were on Zantac, Prilosec, and erythromycin now. Um, he was starting to eat because the erythromycin clearly was became hungry. And they wanted to send us home with those medicines and on oxygen. But now, now at this point, had anybody said, let's check under his tongue and see if there's like reattachment or... What's really interesting is I kept saying, why is he sleeping with his mouth hanging open like that. Ah. It's like it's obstructing his airway. Mm-hmm. I don't understand. Did they cut it too much? Because I had no idea of anything about the tongue or that mm-hmm. it should rest on the roof of the mouth. That was like never in my training. Mm-hmm. Like the fact that I'm in people's mouths all the time. Mm-hmm. But even and the release provider have- didn't tell you. The release yeah. provider didn't tell you, hey, this is like our goal. We want to see the mouth close, the tongue up. No. Oh gosh, no, 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 no. It was an ENT that released his tongue. It was like three seconds. He talked to us about like, if you have these problems, we got no stretches, no instructions, just your tongue, it's released. You'll do better now. Have a nice day. And you know, it's simple, right? That's what everyone tells you. Sometimes they're really easy. So I wasn't worried about it. Mm -hmm. And I do remember distinctly asking on multiple occasions and roping in some of the nurses, like, don't, don't you think that's funny? Look at that. Yeah, that doesn't look right. And we call in one of the docs and they'd go, oh yeah, that's totally, he's okay. He's, he's fine. That's normal. I'm like, but while we were there, he started having grade E DSATs, which is what led to the sleep study. Mm. And now after the sleep study, we find out that he has these pretty significant apneic episodes, not a lot of bradycardia with them, but definitely had a lot of apneic episodes. And then they just kind of threw in as an aside and yeah, it's kind of weird. He was also really hypercapnic. So we're going to send him home on oxygen. And the nurse anesthetist in me shows up and says, that doesn't make any sense. You don't know why his carbon dioxide is high, but you're just going to send us home on oxygen when we haven't been on oxygen in the hospital and no other monitoring and tell me, have a nice day. He doesn't desaturate. Why are we putting him on oxygen? So And now think if you didn't have this background and you were just that parent and said, oh, okay. And you went home and started doing this. I mean, this is scary. (laughs) And it could have been fine, right? Who knows? But they didn't know either. And that was the point. I'm like, but they, no, yeah, it just feels like they're grasping at straws. Like, what is this based on? I mean, you at least have the background to know this doesn't make sense. 
and maybe he would have been fine, but think about all the extra, you know, work you're doing to a parent who doesn't have the background and the child may not need this. Like, why are we not asking other questions? Exactly. And this is at the point that I started to get angry. <laughs> I think I was- I wonder why. <laughs> I wonder why. You've been through a little bit at this point and you're completely yeah. deprived. <laughs> I, well, it doesn't matter, you know, not to mention that we've been in the hospital for a week. I have right. a two-year-old at home who misses oh, his mommy and his baby brother. I'm like Aww. FaceTiming, Ubering home for dinner, missing out on things. So tired and every morning is somebody would wake me up and ask me something stupid that was in the chart. Like, come on, read the chart, people. <laughs> so- I definitely have always had sympathy for families, but this was definitely a life lesson on that one. But mm. we finally were allowed to go home. I told him I refused the oxygen. We went home on three meds. He was doing great. He was eating again. It was awesome. We picked up our pharmacy prescriptions on the way out the door at Hopkins because the erythromycin was something everybody else was going to have to order. No big deal. Went home continued the meds just like they had in the hospital, didn't think anything different, no instructions were different, didn't, didn't, just continued. For now, four were, days, you, were you thickening the, the liquid at all or no? No, okay. because they told me that wasn't a good idea because he didn't aspirate on his swallow valve. Even though he took in all this air, um, he had penetration, didn't actually aspirate, so they didn't recommend it. Okay. I was just curious because so, I know he did much yeah. better the eval on that. Right. Which, and I asked about that and they just thought he liked the taste of barium, I believe was the quote. Because everybody oh. likes how barium tastes. That's just, okay. <laughs> that must be. <laughs> I feel, I, you I can't back, make this stuff up. <laughs> I not. And I look back on, I was so tired. I was so off my A game, you know, I, I, Annoyed because you're you're friends. allowed to be mom and not have to be like mom and you know I was professional. To do that. We're at Johns Hopkins. I'm at one of the other world premier hospitals. Like everyone right. wants Hopkins opinion. Clearly, right. I must be in the right place. I need to let them doctor and me be a mom. Oh my gosh! So they they one of the last days there, they did decide to do a bedside scope to diagnose his laryngeal malaysia officially. First, we had a fellow who said he had laryngeal malaysia. And everyone goes, see, we told you that's what that was. <laughs> and then the next day, the attending came back and rescoped him. And he's like, this kid does not have laryngeal malaysia. There's nothing wrong with his airway. Oh. To which I say, well, then what the heck is that noise? Right. Then what's going on? And his answer, which I actually respect more than pretty much anything else that was said to me, I have no idea. Oh. I like that. I mean, yeah. as much as it's disturbing, it's I like Thank that. you for being honest and not just yeah. throwing some, some random, you know, diagnosis and medication at me. <laughs> yes, exactly. So I was at least grateful for that. They said, doesn't matter. He's okay. Go home. Take him home. And he's eating fine at home for four days. And then he starts vomiting again oh. and not eating again. Mother's Day weekend. Happy Mother's Day. Oh. So we come back to the hospital. Well, actually, we went back to the pediatrician who confirmed we just needed to go straight back to the hospital. In the waiting area, while we're waiting, he eats like two and a half ounces, and I was so excited. It's like when you take your car to the shop, right? And you know, it doesn't do what it's supposed yeah. to be doing to diagnose. <laughs> exactly. So I take him upstairs, and they immediately shove an NG tube in him because he's lost so much weight. We got to gain weight. Aww. And I remember it is such a turning point. NG tubes don't scare me. My first kid was in the NICU. He did fine with I more than once had to replace his NG tube. I placed them for a living. I don't, I mean, no one likes them. They're not enjoyable, but if that's what he needed to be safe, then so be it. Mm -hmm. But I literally watched him spiral downward from that moment on. He got oh, sicker wow. than I'd seen him be. His breathing got worse. Oh. And that night he actually had an episode that scared me. 
I literally watched him obstruct and desat. Mm -hmm. And an esthetist shows up and is doing a little chin lift and opening up his airway. And I'm looking at a baby who is literally like definitely starting to have a respiratory issue. Mm. And so we call, well, the only person in house is some resident who we've never met. And he doesn't have any concern because he's setting hundred percent on the monitor. And I pointed out that I was supporting his airway and that might have something to do with the fact that he's hundred percent. Do I need to like not support his airway so you can watch him taste that before you believe me that this child is in respiratory distress? His response, well, they just called me to the ER. There's somebody down there that needs my help more. <gasps> Never mind that I was all alone in the room with my baby, but the other baby was in an ER full of physicians. Oh so my gosh. That was literally the final straw of my crazy mom coming out. So the nurse came back in the room who realized I was right. She was supportive and amazing and wonderful. The nurses were awesome. Good. She quickly had an aside with him, explained to him why he was going to come back and do things our way. We let him sleep prone that night, even though God forbid back is the best mm -hmm. prone sleeping that night was the best night's sleep he'd ever had. Mm -hmm. He didn't obstruct. He didn't have any problems. He did amazing that night. And the next morning I demanded they take the feeding tube out. I had an argument with the attending who told me that I was interfering with my baby's care. And I pointed out that he'd been there for basically 12 days at this point, 13 days at this point. And they had no idea what was wrong with him or how to fix him. So she's going to have to step back and probably not come back and meet him again. Mm -hmm. Which only brought everybody and their, their mother into the room to tell me why I needed to listen. And then they said, we want to bring back the speech and language pathologist. Which would have been fine, except she'd already stopped by just to say hi because she thought I was interesting. And she had nothing to tell me except, I don't know what to tell you. We don't know what's wrong with him, but good luck. How do, how do they just, how are they so dismissive? Like, why is nobody in there trying to figure out what the heck is going on? And no idea. It makes no sense. I look, I look back on it and I'm still flabbergasted at the things that were said to me, the attitudes, the dismissals, the no big deal, he'll be fine. They just need to get bigger. Babies outgrow these things. Oh, um, yes, they outgrow the yard. You know, I'm, if I heard the term happy spitter one more time, I was going to slap somebody. I, mm -hmm. Like, There's nothing happy about puking. I don't care if the baby cries or not. Nobody likes to puke. It hurts. It's damaging to your esophagus. There are problems that come from that. Don't tell me it's no big deal. It's a laundry problem. You're not doing the laundry. And <laughs> it's exhausting. Yeah. So basically, at that moment in time, I wrote everybody else off. They wanted to have, they'd already had genetics scan him. He had no chin. His chin was super short. Mm -hmm. Um, and they just decided that, you know, they needed to have somebody come and look at him from uh, cranial facial. So they called the cranial facial team when I had the light bulb moment that I knew a cranial facial surgeon who is extremely well respected and used to be there. I called him up on his cell phone and said, Hey, they want to have somebody come and look at him. Remember when you saw him a couple weeks ago at a party, did you look at him and thought he looked like a kid with a cranial facial issue? And like any of us did have an area of expertise. You look at people, you assess them oh, by yeah. accident. Yeah. You help it, right? Yeah. You just so you can't it. take, like I say, like my Mayo eyes. Like I can't take off my Mayo eyes or my tongue tie eyes. Like it's just, right. you look it's at someone and go, I bet they have a tongue tie or I bet they have this. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I look at veins. I look at jaws. I look at mm -hmm. these things too. So I knew yeah. he had. And he laughed at me and said, Well, I remember his chin was a little short, but definitely not an issue or one of those syndrome things. Like I don't know what's wrong with him either. Have you tried the Haberman nipple? 
I had no idea what that was. No idea. But at this point, we've been at the hospital for almost two And nobody had recommended or tried it or looked at his palate. Dr. Brown. Dr. Brown's bottle. That's all I got. I, when I went out to the nurse's station, he said, just go ask the nurses. If they can't help you use it, I'll come in tomorrow and help you. So I went out to the nurse's station, and I actually felt bad for the nurses in that moment because they had been so kind and supportive. But when I asked for Haberman, it was like all these cartoon light bulbs went off over their heads. And they magically appeared with like six different nipples for kids that are hard to feed. Like, what was my kid? You checked his femoral arteries every day for pulses, but you didn't look in his mouth. You didn't try to figure out how to feed him. When the SLP came, she never tried alternative bottles. She just said, Dr. Yeah. Brown. Yeah. And that was it. Yep. That's and, and, and did she even try it in the hospital with you? Um, I don't remember if she did or not, but I don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it, this was like a Friday of like a holiday weekend and mm. I read the book. I mean, I have enough education. I should be able to read a Modella insert. So yeah. I did. And the first line on a Haberman, if you don't know, says for children who take in lots of air when they eat. Uh huh. That was like the third strike of, I really want to slap everybody. <laughs> um, although I didn't, I didn't actually mention at this point and somewhere in this point of being told that I was overstepping my boundaries. I had a light bulb moment myself that my husband had asked when we got home from the hospital why we didn't have to refrigerate the erythromycin because it was the same color as amoxicillin. Mm. And I said, well, you know what? I'm concerned because in the hospital, his erythromycin was white and his prilosec or prevacet, whichever one we were on at that point, was pink. But when we got home, our erythromycin was pink and our PPI was white. So Did I they mislabel it? And I 100% question it. And they actually assured me I was correct, that, I, that they'd labeled them correctly. But I didn't mention my husband's question about the amoxicillin being refrigerated. Because, I mean, I have lots of drugs that are different colors. Of course, mm -hmm. that doesn't, the color doesn't mean they need to be refrigerated. Mm -hmm. That's stupid. But that's an interesting question. <laughs> right? So I basically, as we were in the hospital the second time, was rethinking everything, trying constantly to figure something out. And I had a late bulb moment where I realized Four days in, that's weird. And it was a slow, gradual change. So I called mm -hmm. the inpatient pharmacy and simply asked if the erythromycin my son got was supposed to be refrigerated and quickly found out that it was supposed to be refrigerated. Mm -hmm. um, and we was not- And labeled. those instructions were not on the label. No instructions, nothing, no information whatsoever was given to me that it should have been refrigerated. And the erythropede that he was on in the hospital, which is a brand name that's developed to be stable, does not have to be refrigerated. So I had no reason to think the erythromycin needed to be refrigerated because the one in the hospital wasn't. Holy moly. The one we went home with was supposed to be. And they still think that has nothing to do with why he got sick again. But, you know. But it was gradual and like four days later. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Totally yeah. random. We admit we made a mistake, but that's not why. But we don't want you to sue us. So we're not going to admit that you might be right. Correct. <laughs> like, and at this point, I just like, somebody just throw me a bone here and tell me like, <laughs> Tell me I'm not crazy. Tell me I'm not completely sleep deprived. You're just grasping for straws. Like, no, but I, right. oh so we figured out how to use the Haberman nipple. He immediately, 12 hours later, I had him eating three ounces of food. Um, it was amazing. And he started gaining weight, but our normal team was not there for the holiday weekends. And they had planned to have a family meeting on like Monday or Tuesday or whatever it was. And I wanted to go home. They told me when he started gaining weight, we could go home. And they told me we couldn't go home because his primary attending didn't want us to leave yet. And so I started to really push back. And after my phone call to my friend who suggested the Haberman 
the same attending ENT that had looked and disproved the laryngeal malaysia theory came back one more time, I think just as a obligatory, like, I, you know, people, I want to make sure we do this right. And still had nothing to offer me. He said he just, mm -hmm. maybe it was a little floppiness, but he really had no idea what was making the noise and that they would like to do a bronchoscopy and an EGD under general, general anesthesia so wow. they could look in his trachea to which I had another losing my mind moment because any assessment skill of airway would tell you that whatever the noise was that Ethan was making, it was in his oral pharynx area. Like it was clearly above his, his cords. Like you could tell it was like a floppiness that you'd have, like I could see the laryngeal nasal. You could, yeah, you can hear the stride or you, you know. Yeah, that. like yeah. it wasn't, it wasn't tracheal. You could just right. close your eyes and see you could just hear where it was coming from. And that's mm -hmm. all I knew. I didn't know what it was, but I knew- Upper airway, yeah. And I, and I refused to put him to sleep to, to rule out some possible fistula. We're, we're like eight weeks old now, no fevers, no any, like no yeah. way. No and, way what they, and if they had found that, what were they gonna do anyways? Is there a treat? Right. They find that? Just no, that was, that was it. It was like, a, they were grasping at straws. And yeah. I was sick of my kid being their guinea pig. And the idea of putting my baby under general anesthesia at that point was just out. It wasn't an option. So um, I just told them that we weren't doing a family meeting. We were leaving and that was it. And the whole while we were in the hospital, I had been given the name of an SLP at Kennedy Krieger right across the street. She was so close. No, but we so couldn't get I'm... there because we kept getting readmitted. And oh. I didn't know how I was going to get there, but by golly, I was going to get there. And I'd called her and she scheduled us an appointment for the first day she got back from vacation. God bless her. But that was a week out. So I got carpal tunnel using a Haberman nipple for a solid week. Oh my gosh. Um, and I got him to continue gaining weight and started making progress and refrigerated our erythromycin. <laughs> and we did, we started doing better. Um, still exhausted, still not good, still vomiting a lot, but not losing weight. Okay. Um, and when we got to Kennedy Krieger and Nina Johansson, it was the most ridiculous moment of my life when this woman who had met me for, I'd say all of five minutes, held my baby, and I definitely know looking back, four and a half, four, four minutes and 55 seconds of that was her trying to figure out how to tell this exhausted, crazy woman that it was his tongue because <laughs> I had been at a hospital for three weeks and no one knew what was wrong with him. And she knew before she even picked him up. I know that. She knew that before I even showed up. But, mm -hmm. you know, I know that she was literally just holding him, trying to figure out how to tell me that that's what it was. And mm. I thought that still sounded crazy because how could a tongue tie cause all these problems? Tongue ties are nothing, right? They're a speech problem. No way this was going to be an issue. But I would have done anything at that point. Mm -hmm. And if Dee Dee trusted Nina, then I knew I could trust Nina. And that's what I did. So she couldn't tell me it was a tongue tie, obviously. She just suggested maybe I go and see uh, Dr. Marcus. And so I went to Robert Marcus in uh, Northern Baltimore, Racer's Town Road, who mm -hmm. is in my opinion, one of the most amazing people ever. When I called to make an appointment, he, he immediately said, didn't you already have an appointment with me and you canceled it? <laughs> Which only hurt me even more. Um, so let's just rub it in, just rub it in. Oh my God, Lon. <laughs> um, we, he was so kind and so sweet because he, he literally saw us on lunch break the next day to fit Aww. us in. 
He went to him, you know, and he immediately said, oh, look at this. He's got tongue tie and he's got a lip tie. Who knew that? So, you know, talked us through it a little bit, you know, discussed our options, gave us some tips and thoughts. And then we went up, went right ahead right away and released the lip and the tongue right then and there. Had some instructions to follow, some some stretches to do, some thoughts on on proper care, mm-hmm. and went home. And it wasn't horrible. I mean, he, we were already having issues with aversions, and he didn't want to eat, but we were forcing him to. And but anything at that point was better. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the first couple nights they're kind of a blur because I was so tired and exhausted at that point. Sure. But Nina um, and the physical therapist that she works with, who's awesome as well, um, both immediately started working with us. Um, they started scheduling us just regular visits as best they could. They're so busy. Um, but the team combo teaching therapy process was just mind boggling to me. Mm. And everything that, that Aaron did was crazy to me. It literally went against all the science that had ever been taught because she's trained in, in osteopathy and, I watched her lay hands on my son in the most gentle ways and watched the craziest things happen in front of my eyes. And I really think in that moment was when I realized how medicine just doesn't understand. Yeah. Because I didn't understand. And I felt like I should have understood everything she was doing and I didn't, but I knew it worked. And I actually, she jokes with me because I totally called it voodoo. I'm like, I don't know what this voodoo is. Uh-huh. It's working. Uh-huh. Keep doing it. Mm-hmm. Between her and Nina, um, they switched us to the Dr. Brown's bottle with the feeder nipple. Um, she gave me ideas like using a muslin blanket as a burp cloth. Such a simple idea. We did sideline feeding. I learned to bounce and feed. And oh my gosh, the positions I used to feed that baby in, but he started to eat. And he went from being force fed three ounces, which really, if he was had his choice, it was an ounce. Mm. He's spilling most of it out of his mouth while he yeah. was on his side. Yeah, no control over it. Yeah. Right. But um, but in that sideline position, it you could watch him getting comfortable. You could watch him growing and you could watch him starting to become less afraid. And you know, it's interesting that every time I said my baby was in pain, a pediatrician would roll their eyes at me. <sighs> and I asked repeatedly for something, caraphate, anything. You know, I understood his bilirubin had been high and they didn't want to get into Tylenol, but for the love of God, my baby was in pain. Nobody cared. They didn't think it mattered. And I treat pain for a living. I give people pain medicine for everything. So to not be able to give my own baby something for pain was horrible. Yeah. And I could sneak him a couple of doses of Tylenol every once in a while because I could tell when I did, he felt better and he would eat more. So I tried to limit it to desperate times, but... You know, it's scary to think that most people didn't think he had pain. And, you know, Nina definitely appreciated his pain, as did Aaron. It was refreshing to have somebody really, truly understand. Mm -hmm. To hear what you're saying and not just dismiss you, but to actually hear you, understand you, and take that information to, you know, into consideration for treatment purposes. Yeah. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And so I would regularly, he'd be good for a couple of days and then you could see like the muscle memory and he'd start vomiting again. And I'd call them and say, what are you going to do? We got to, we got to come back. We need you again. God bless them. They put up with me so much, but really from the moment his tongue was released, we were seeing them two to three times a week, then just two to one, two times a week. And just kind of decreased over the next probably month or two. Mm -hmm. Um, and 
his growth curve, when we left Hopkins, he was at 0.19 percentile. Mm. He'd been born at 60th percentile. 60th? Uh, 60, 60. Wow. And you went down to, you said 0.19. 0.19. Yeah. And we, by 10 months, hit 75th percentile. Wow. Within probably two months, I, probably within a month, we were eating four to five ounces of milk. I had all this breast milk stored that we were, we were using Nutramogen because, you know, mm-hmm. eventually someone suggested milk protein allergy and all that mm-hmm. stuff, whatever. Um, we quickly figured out that wasn't the issue and switched from the Nutramogen back to my breast milk. But unfortunately, by then, I'd stopped pumping. I was too mm-hmm. tired. I couldn't keep it up. By the time I got to Nina, I, that was already, that ship had sailed. Yeah. I look back and wish, you know, wonder if I'd gotten there earlier, probably would have been able to continue our breastfeeding journey, but that didn't matter to me. I just wanted them to eat. I didn't care yeah. how we eat. Yeah. Um, but it was nice to get to use all that hard blood, sweat, and tear milk. Yeah. <laughs> <I actually laughs> Literally blood, sweat, and tears. Yeah. Um, so we were able to feed him that. I remember one day he ate 10 and a half ounces of fortified breast milk. Wow. He belched like he was a fraternity brother and just kept going. He never vomited anymore. Oh, the day he got his tongue tie released, we saw a new um, gastroenterologist at a different hospital. His, I didn't mention at this point either, the 21 days we were in the hospital, we didn't see a pediatric gastroenterologist until the last day when I was packing our bags to leave. What? At that point... And he was vomiting. I mean, there were things going on that they should have ruled out, right? I mean, well, I asked about that a lot. And I know for a fact the team repeatedly reached out. Mm. And I never got a good explanation except that they don't need to. They can do phone consults. Well, you know, 15 years of being a nurse anesthetist, I know a lot of gastroenterologists. And I can tell you that when they get a consult, they go see that patient, especially if it's a two-month-old. And isn't, I mean, um, legally and ethically, isn't it kind of, aren't there some requirements as to well, I'm, I'm how you respond no. to an order that's sent your way? <laughs> I'm told no, because they consulted by phone. It was okay. okay. Um, I, I obviously know that's wrong, but whatever. I don't, I don't have a legal leg to stand on because my kid's good. My kid's okay. Yeah. And you yeah. know what? I, I picked that. I picked that over the other yes. options. But yeah. It is really infuriating that somebody had the audacity to show up as we were being discharged the second time. And I, when she walked in the room and told me who she was, I just kind of looked at her like, why are you here? Right. And then she went on a diatribe about his lower esophageal sphincter tone. Well, they- know, actually, I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. She didn't say that. She said, there's a ring at the bottom of his food pipe. <laughs> food like, pipe. First of all, Thank you. <laughs> really? Like I've seen probably as many lower esophageal sphincters as you have. Like I do a lot of endoscopy. <laughs> So I was, I was very annoyed that she even showed up and I found out a week later at our pediatrician visit, uh, outpatient for a weight check, which we had a lot of those, mm-hmm. that we were still on the wrong dose of all of those meds we went home on oh, because no. they changed his dose, but nobody updated him on our discharge paperwork. <gasps> he was never even on the right dose. He was on too low a dose of everything. Oh my gosh. So that was an extra like jab in it there, but they wanted me to follow up with them, which obviously I did it. Right. Um, I found a new gastroenterologist and we saw her the same day as his tongue tie release. She's the only person with MD after her name that actually saw my baby's pain. So her, Nina, I think, and Aaron were the only ones that saw it and appreciated it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dr. Marcus, can't forget him. <laughs> um, but she immediately took him off of both the Zantac and 
Oh, I'm sorry. We also seen another gastroenterologist who put us on Reglan. So we were actually on four meds. At oh, geez. <laughs> Um, so we come off the Reglan, we came off of the um, Zantac and never increased his doses again of erythromycin or the PPI we were on. And both of those are super sensitive to weight. And he was 0.9 percentile. So we stayed on those meds, I think, for my crazy for a long time because we never increased his dose. And he was on like the dose of an eight pounds and he was, you know, 15 pounds. Mm. Um, so it was, it was good. It was, it was probably the best way to wean them off a bit for my yeah. sake. Yeah. You know, but it, it, I learned a lot. That's for sure. Yeah. Right. Things you wish you never knew. Right. <laughs> exactly. wish you never had to learn. Right. Oh, Shame. Ethan at this point is a completely healthy two and a half year old who snacks, snacks all day long. He loves his snacks. <laughs> he, he always has something in his mouth. He eats everything. He doesn't, he doesn't, he eats anything. And it's amazing and beautiful to watch because he's never, he's literally never had problems since. He just turned around and never went back. That's amazing. And I, so you finally found somebody who understood what was actually going on and listened to you. Exactly. Well, <laughs> know you know. is an, an expert in her field, although she would probably deny that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, clearly she's an expert in her yes, field. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. So I, um, I just, I can't even wrap my head around it still to this day. Like I still can't believe what we went through, how we went through it, how it all played out. But the fact that we were in the right place at the right time with the right people, mind boggling and mm -hmm. wonderful. So I'm great. Glad you, I'm glad you got to that point. And I'm sorry it took so long for you to get there because I'm sure yeah. it felt like a really long time, even though. Right. You know. right. Like I said, relatively speaking, I mean, right. Ethan was basically released the second time when he was about eight weeks old. So that's actually really good. It yes. Was the, yeah. Was but really bad through in those first eight weeks, you know, that's no one yeah. to endure that. So, yeah. so thank pretty, you for sharing good. that story. I mean, I know that, um, as far as now your other yeah. son, I think you mentioned also had some symptoms and of his headaches or something was going on with him. And you said that you were able to use some of your knowledge now to help him as well from an airway standpoint. Yeah. So, I mean, the interesting thing was, is that looking back, Jackson was born, you know, he had Euconium, and so he was in the NICU, and he was had an NG tube, and he had a lot of feeding issues mm -hmm. um, that quickly resolved. But he was always a really crappy nurser. He really struggled with breastfeeding, but he never had a problem with a bottle, mm -hmm. and he gained weight relatively okay. And nobody ever really thought anything of it. I didn't think anything of it. He slept great. Never had any reflux issues or symptoms. Never really was a big, you know, he spit up some, but not more than any other baby. So I never really thought much of it. He really was a late talker. He was like two and a half when he really started to speak, but he always jabbered. So I was never worried. And my pediatrician, of course, the same pediatrician who never helped figure out the issues with Ethan, also just felt like it wasn't really an issue. No big deal. Okay. And he was three and a half years old and started complaining of headaches six hmm. days a week. Um, wow. Had a migraine at preschool, puked on his preschool teacher. Um, and I laid in bed with him one night just holding him while he cried that his head hurt. His head hurt, his head hurt. And it was awful, heartbreaking. And I'd already been, I've become a crazy person because of Ethan. And I'm on forums and constantly trying to tell people. I've helped a friend of ours who had a child who was late to talk and been seeing a speech and language pathologist identify that maybe their four-year-old did have a tongue tie, even mm -hmm. though nobody else had seen it. And Dr. Marcus was able to release him and he increased his vocabulary immensely in just a couple weeks. Mm -hmm. So I became this person who was obsessed with finding any of the crazy stuff out about tongue ties I could. Never ever can I find good 
articles unless Nina sends them to me. Um, <laughs> but I, I have lots of uh, anecdotal stuff at least. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of talked to some people and I knew therapy was a really important component to the process of a tongue tie. I actually went to a TOTS conference just because I needed more information for my brain. So I sat in a, you know, a TOTS conference for hours one day, never been mesmerized like that in my life. Awesome. Um, so I, I found a, a physical therapist to work with Ethan and do some osteopathy or I'm sorry, with Jackson to kind of help loosen things up and let her suggest that maybe he had a tongue tie, um, which thankfully she suggested that maybe we could, we could look into that. And Dr. Marcus agreed that he did have a tongue tie, did not necessarily think that he, he honestly said he wasn't sure if it would help with his headaches or not, but that he would love, you know, if I wanted to try it, he was willing to try it. Um, but wasn't pushing to do a release at all. Mm -hmm. um, it wasn't like that. It was, it was clearly me pushing because I felt like there was no other explanation. We'd been to a neurologist. We'd done all the other things. We did the medical, medical stuff. And I know this is medicine, but it's not the medicine world that I'm used to. So mm -hmm. I, I suggested it and Dr. Marcus agreed to try it. Jackson wasn't super thrilled in the moment that we did it. At of course not. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he streamed for about an hour. Mm. in retrospect was more tantrum related because after that when I asked him to drink some Gatorade he told me it didn't hurt at all and he wanted to eat pizza for dinner that night <laughs> so he was all right <laughs> he was fine he, was he bounced back quick at that age <laughs> he literally got one dose of ibuprofen and then I stopped giving it to him because he that's amazing when I had my tongue tie released it took me 45 minutes to eat a small bowl of oatmeal <laughs> He, he didn't eat pizza that night because I wouldn't let him, but my husband okay. took him for pizza the next day. And okay, he, okay. And he really, the crazy thing with, with Jax was the fact that when we would take him for his PT visits, he would eat like a machine afterwards. And it was the craziest thing to see. I've never seen this boy eat like that. And when we released his tongue, it got even better for a while. Sometimes I wonder if he's re reattached a little bit because his eating is not as good as it got to be at some point. Hmm. There were days where he would have PT and he would eat an entire order of mac and cheese from a restaurant in minutes. And I'm not even exaggerating. Like he needed a, like a shovel to get it in there fast enough. <laughs> like things were just so, working better and maybe it was just easier and more efficient right. than usual. Well, I mean, and in retrospect, he was chipmunk cheeking his chicken. He wasn't swallowing it. He still yeah. sometimes spit out food because he can't swallow it. And my goal was headaches because that was the thing that concerned me the most because they tell me I could only give them ibuprofen sometimes. Well, how do you know when the next headache is going to be worse than the last? Or right. I can only how do you decide the mom? That's ridiculous. Yeah. So he definitely now is down to, I mean, he, he very rarely complains of headaches, but we were definitely six times a week. Wow. Um, and I just, again, like there's nobody that will be able to convince me that fixing his tongue had nothing to do with yeah, that's so and I, you know, and, I, and like you, you know, I, I look back on my history of migraines, and my <laughs> history of teeth grinding, uh -huh. my posture that is impossible. And I'm like, ah, <laughs> me too. <laughs> At what point do I go and, and, and get evaluated myself? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Like, oh, that's just the crazy coming out, which I know it's probably not the crazy coming out. But no, it's all about functional impact, you know, if you're impacted and if you're, and, and, and you know what I immediately think when you were saying migraines, I'm thinking sleep apnea. I'm thinking reduced airway. I'm thinking, you know, his tongue tie could have been lending to a, you know, or like with your, your, you know, you know your other son um, with Ethan, it could have been that it was 
holding that tongue further back toward the oh. airway and blocking oh, it. Oh yeah, and, and absolutely, I, I did not mention that, but not only does he not have any reflux or anything, like he does, his sleep apnea immediately, his noisy breathing, I shouldn't say immediately, within days, his mm -hmm. noisy breathing and his sleep apnea were clearly gone. I had to get up and start yeah. checking him in the middle of the night because it wasn't making noise anymore. I can't tell you how much I hear that where parents are like, <laughs> I was so scared because I'm so used to hearing noise. And then like I kept checking the monitor and I went in to check and I was like, oh no, I'm going to wake him up. I didn't even care if I woke him up because I just wanted to make sure he was still breathing. I mean, it's like, exactly. Yes, the baby, that's what any human being, baby, child, adult, that's what they're supposed to, you're supposed to be quiet when you sleep. You're not supposed to hear snoring. You're not supposed to hear noisy breathing. The mouth should be closed. The tongue should be up. And people are like, oh, I never knew that. I thought no. like snoring was no. normal. <laughs> like, well, well we and, and I had this moment, this epiphany moment with Nina and Ethan where I said, but where was the noise coming from? And she said, what do you mean? And, and she wasn't being rude, but you could tell she was totally confused as to what I was asking her. Mm -hmm. I said, but they were looking for this, it wasn't laryngeal amnesia. They said they, there was a cyst. They said there was maybe this, there was maybe that. Where was the noise coming from? Because I still didn't get it. Yeah. And she, Ethan was sleeping in her arms and she pulled down just so gently on his, jaw so that I could see his tongue resting on the roof of his mouth where it belongs. Mm -hmm. And I watched as she pulled it just a little bit farther to make it pop off and heard the breathing come back. Mm. Oh my gosh. Like that moment of realizing that that noise that I've been hearing for all those weeks is his tongue. Mm -hmm. I still didn't have it in my head. I still didn't understand it until that moment. And that mm -hmm. was like, yeah, well, she wasn't hearing it, so she was like, I have no clue what you're talking about. Yeah, she didn't know what I was talking about. And when, I re when she realized what I was saying, and she realized uh -huh. the light bulb, just, oh, God, that moment. Like, here, let me show you. I think this is what you mean. This? Yes. <laughs> well, there it is. And I, I still, I will never, it's ingrained in my brain. I will never forget <laughs> that moment. Yeah. So interesting, because, we, you know, I get babies sometimes where, we have concerns about laryngomalacia and there's that strider and it sounds like some parents would say it sounds like they're choking on their tongue when they're sleeping or it sounds like you know i just i hear these different noises and sometimes they're higher pitched and sometimes you know there's definitely the strider quality strider yeah and then they click when they eat and they're definitely getting too much air during feeds and this that and the other and i immediately now go tongue tie but i know there's also in the medical community, it's like if they think that laryngomalacia may, may be there, there's like some people think, well, maybe the tongue tie is actually helping the tongue and other people think, yeah. well, maybe it's not. So then it becomes a matter of, do we scope a baby and, you know, roll this out, which obviously when you're in the hospital and you're there for a stay, yes, you, you scope a baby, but. Yeah, well, I mean, we scoped him four times at bedside. There's yeah. nothing better than getting to hold your own child down so that you can scope him bedside. So. <laughs> oh my gosh, I think they'll be ingrained in your brain forever. <laughs> yes, we will be. Oh, but goodness, I mean, I will tell you, like, sometimes we see these babies' tongues released and it's just it's amazing to see what happens. And then there's other times where we also see some reattachment and, you know, providers sometimes don't want to own up to the fact that there might be some reattachment. We might have to do a second procedure. No one seems to want to talk about that either. Sometimes it's necessary, you know? Yeah. I mean, and I, you know, Nina is a very wonderful person mm -hmm. and she is, was so professional in the whole process and yeah. she never, would diss or, or, or say anything bad about any of the providers. Mm -hmm. And I respect that. But now I know that there's no doubt in my mind, he didn't have reattachment. He was never released enough. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. she says, we'll never know the difference. And I, and I love how kind she is. Mm -hmm. but 
I know Norma was, I'm releasing out. I watched both of those procedures and they were not the same procedure. Wow, they were interesting. not the same release. And you know, it was so much more of a release when Dr. Marcus did it, so mm -hmm. much more. Mm -hmm. And I now know that I can't, I can't even tell you how many people I know that have been to the first provider who have had to go back to Dr. Marcus and be, mm, it makes me so sad. I know, I know. Well, and that's why I'm very adamant when my clients ask me for referrals, I have my people I refer to. And Dr. Marcus is on my list. You know, I am closer to the DC area being in Bethesda. Right. So a lot of my clients are up this way and we have two other really great providers, one in Virginia, one, you know, in Maryland. And then we have, you know, Dr. Marcus, if they want to drive out to Dr. Marcus, who I know do great releases because I've seen the results. I've worked with yeah. these babies. I've worked with, you know, and some of them also release um, Beyond Babies Release Adults and um, and yeah. I, you know, I've seen their results. I know that they do a good release and they know what they're doing. And it's, I, and I try to tell people, I can't tell you how important it is to go where you're referred because well, I, I have vetted these providers. <laughs> but, but, but I get why people think it doesn't matter because of how yes. hard it's going to be. Right. And right. I also, and if one person is doing it and another person's doing it and this one takes my insurance, yeah. maybe I should go here first or maybe yeah. I, you know, like, why wouldn't I do that? Absolutely. I get that. Um, yeah, and I, and I think the thing too, when I went to the CHOTS conference, the thing that only further like put Dr. Marcus up for me was the fact that he was there continuing his own education, mm -hmm. even though he's one of the best providers around here, you know, mm -hmm. hands down. He still yes. has more questions, wants more answers, wants yeah. to make sure he's doing the best job he can do. That's what and if that doesn't continue to just speak volumes, like mm -hmm. I just, Absolutely. I always say you have to be a lifelong learner. The best yeah. clinicians, the best professionals are the lifetime learners who are constantly going to courses, learning from colleagues, learning how they can better their Absolutely. practice. There's always more information to be learned. And I think you get to a very dangerous place when you decide, you know, it all because nobody Absolutely. knows it all. Absolutely. <laughs> nobody knows it all. So, oh, so what, what ended up happening then with Jackson's headache? So they're, they're gone now and he's they're pretty, pretty, much, pretty much gone. Sometimes mm -hmm. he says he has a headache, but I think honestly, he's just tired. Yeah. Um, maybe he does have a headache or he's a little dehydrated, but it's, it's not like it was. Mm -hmm. No, no, thank God it's not. And even he'll tell you, like, I've, I've, we've had conversations like, you remember when you got your tongue fixed? Yes. <laughs> do you think we need to do it again? And he even admits to you one time he thinks maybe he does, but he doesn't want to do it. Like, How old is he now? Later. He's, um, turns five in just a couple weeks. So, so it was, um, yeah, so it was about a year ago, actually, almost one year ago that we okay. did this. And Amazing. I mean, really headaches, we, we actually went to uh, Friday for another PT. We go like every, we're kind of like in a maintenance phase, like every eight mm -hmm. to 10 weeks now we go just to kind of keep them situated. Good. And I don't even know if we really need that anymore. It's more, yeah. I think, just for, to be sure. Yeah. Pretty, yeah. Pretty big difference. No, I hear that. That's, that's amazing. Your kids are yeah. lucky to have you. <laughs> They're very lucky to have that mama bear who had the background you had. And oh. really, you know, I think there's something, you know, I don't want to tell everybody, Hey, you know, go fight your, your doctors. No, and that's, that's, that's not the message, but ask questions, ask yeah. questions. And when something doesn't sit right with you, don't just lay down and accept it. Ask the questions, especially if you feel like you're seeing something different on a regular basis at home than what they're presenting with in office or in the hospital or wherever you might be, because that information is helpful. I, at least I know that I find it very helpful in my treatment planning. And what if you don't, if you ask questions and your provider of any kind gets annoyed with you or you has a problem, providers. <laughs> you, need, you need to go to somebody else. Oh yeah. Because I can tell you right now. I have people question some of the most, in my mind, some of the most ridiculous things, but I try to recognize that this is my world, not theirs. And they're uh -huh. trying to understand this brief window into it. Yeah. And 
why would I be mad at them for trying to understand? Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously you could be, as long as you're respectful and how you question. Yeah. And if, yeah. and if it gets heated, then again, you probably need to go somewhere else. Right. You know? right. I wish I would have listened to that gut core, but, but I was kind of held hostage because you can't mm-hmm. leave, just leave the hospital. Right. Right. But like, reason. <laughs> yeah. so, you know, live and learn. Right. But, um, right. Nope, but and all well and ends well, and, and thankfully we, we definitely, we got to the place eventually. I'm so happy to hear that. So, so happy to hear that. And thank you so much for sharing your story. I think that we'll definitely share this so that other families can hear this, this uh, episode. And I want my colleagues to hear this episode because I think there's always something to be learned. And I just think it's a good reminder that the families, I always say mom knows best. So, yeah. you know, listen to your patients, listen to your moms, you know, especially with the infants who can't speak for themselves or the young kids who are not speaking yet. Oh, God. Yeah. You have to listen to the parents. Like you are our, our lifeline. Time with them. Like, yeah, you know. exactly. Like, you know, what's going on. And, and, you know, I think, and it's really important to listen to because what you might describe as something or call something might be different than we describe it or call it. So we really have to work together, together to figure out what are these symptoms if it's not something Absolutely. that, you know, on the typical checklist of items that we're used to hearing. Right. Okay. You know, and to help us figure out that other piece of the puzzle or the 10 pieces of the puzzle and what's truly going on. But yes, I, I loved how at one point you said you really liked when the GI, GI doctor just said, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. And I think that also takes a really good provider to admit when they don't know. Yes. And I also think that, you know, I personally always make it my mission to kind of figure it out with the family. Like if that means referring you out somewhere else and helping you find that person who does know or, you know. Right what is the next best step? You know, I just, I think there's something to be said though for those providers who are happy to say, I have no idea. <laughs> I'm sorry. I have no idea, but I have no idea. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So my gosh, what a journey you've been on. Um, and I, thank you again for sharing. Is, is there anything else that we didn't cover or discuss? Goodness. I don't think so. Yeah, um, I know. That was a, that was a really so good, much, uh, it, you know, it's such a, it was such a whirlwind and crazy part of my life that sometimes I feel like I just I bounce around because there's so many pieces of the puzzle that were just everywhere. But no, but I, I can guarantee you that there will be other families that listen to this and even providers who listen to this that will be helped by this. So thank you so much. I hope so. That's that is my goal. Story if and anything, your story. <laughs> yeah, if any baby can be helped even just a little bit by Ethan's story, then mm-hmm. it makes all of our struggles worth it because I just I hate yeah. I hate how many babies are out there suffering because yes. I see and it all day. Jackson with his headaches. I mean, if someone else yes. looks this and says, "Oh my gosh, my child has chronic migraines," maybe we should look in his mouth, look under well, his tongue. Hey, and the, no, the neurologist was boys under the age of eight often have headaches for reasons we don't know. Oh, that that's okay. Well, I don't like that. I don't know answer. That's not okay with me. <laughs> that's what, that one. I was like, wait a minute. What do you, what? That, this is happening to other little boys all over the place. You're like, so now you're saying that there's this rampant issue and nobody cares to figure out the problem underlying. Kind of what it felt like to me. Kind of what it felt like to me. I would, yeah. We always say, you know, people normalize things because it's, um, it's occurring. It's increasingly occurring, right? It's, it's become rampant. That doesn't mean it's okay. It doesn't mean that it's quote unquote normal. What normal is, you know, and it's compensation and we're compensating for something else. And maybe that's pulling from, you know, the, the brain's ability to get restful sleep or whatever and causing these migraines. I don't know. I'm making these things up or maybe it's shifting things with, with vision and that's causing the migraines. There's things sometimes when you're, I'm learning now if your airway is off, that can also, you know, your airway kind of sits underneath your, your eyes and then things shift and push and, that can change your vision. Oh my gosh. Well, that and that can cause a migraine. So there's just, there's so many other. We were, we were doing um, Ethan's osteopathy. Mm-hmm. He had a clogged tear duct, which Jackson mm-hmm. had as well. 
Mm-hmm. And I, of course, like everybody, I, I didn't think anything of that. Mm-hmm. But she was able to fix his clogged tear duct. It stopped while we were like there in the office still. Mm. By just, you know, the cranial sacral. Yep. Yeah. We, we came home and like a week or two later when he got really sick again, I said, wait a minute, his tear duct is tearing again. Oh. Went back and she was like, oh yeah, it's tight again. And just like, no big deal. She kind of manipulated things like very gently, very subtly. And never again was there a tear in that tear duct. It was the craziest. So interesting. Yeah. People most... say to me, well, what is the, you know, what does an osteopathic doctor do? And I'm like, I don't know. They just kind of put their hands on you. They move a few things around very gently. Like, I'm telling you. And your body just works. It's really cool. <laughs> But I mean, it helped my daughter. She was tongue tied. She had midline defects. We won't go into her whole story because I'll share that on another episode, I think, already. But basically, I, she wasn't, she was dragging her left leg. We were in PT for a while. She was making developmental milestones. So I wasn't super concerned, but I'm like, she is not integrating. I know she's not integrating because she's not crawling properly. And if she's not oh down on gosh. all fours, like, I just feel like, you know, I'm not being the best mom helping her based on what I know. So, I took her for CST and she said, oh, she's healthy. Didn't watch her crawl or anything, but, you know, did some adjustments, gave me some tools because my baby's also a sweaty baby, which apparently is a thing. Um, and so with some adjustments, that sweatiness has kind of gone away. Wow. Um, I took her to the osteopathic doctor who, um, it's a team and the husband, the husband-wife team, they're phenomenal in Silver Spring, Dr. Koop and Dr. Steele. Dr. Koop is actually a PT and an osteopath. Um, he trained in Germany, I think, for his PT. And then Dr. Steele, um, Christina Steele, they worked on her together, the two of them. And I will tell you, within it was two to three days later, she was standing up on her own. And they said, don't oh do any other treatments for the next four weeks. And I was like, fine, <laughs> no problem. Right, right. What do you know? Like three weeks later, she was walking. And now wow. she, I just watched her the other day crawl across the couch on all fours. And I was like, oh, yay, we've made it. Life is good. <laughs> but I'm like, I can't tell you what they did but it worked. It's, so. it's the craziest thing I've ever, I mean, I would watch him start to reflux while she was touching his belly. And I'm like, mm. are you doing that? Is that okay? She's and like, then, I'm making him do that. <laughs> basically, it's just, yeah. oh, this, this feels so tight. And it was fun. We'd have a fun little game with it where she'd tell me what she was manipulating and I'd try to attach it to my, my brain mm. and figure out where she was and what she was feeling. And we'd, we'd di- like digest it together and come up with a word. So interesting. Word, whatever it was. It was very interesting and it's interesting, but body work, I mean, body work is so important and that gets missed so much because one is not usually covered by insurance and two, there's just a lot of providers I think who, and even obviously, you know, mainstream, uh, people just don't understand it. So they kind of write it off. I don't either. I don't either, but I know it's important. I, you know, I just think so many people write it off because I'm like, it's the voodoo magic that works and I'll never, you know, I would never go without it again if I had known what I know now. Exactly. Exactly. Anyways, well, I don't want to keep you. I appreciate, you know, you sharing their story and your story. I know this will, this will help definitely help others. So thank you again, Danielle. Hope you have a wonderful day. Yes. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you want to hear more of these Mayo Tots airway and feeding related episodes, be sure to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or pledge a small amount on patreon.com forward slash the untethered podcast. If you found value, others you know in this space will too. So be sure to share this episode on your social media platforms and join us over on Facebook, on my Facebook page at Hallie Balkan Biz, on Instagram at, at Hallie Balkan. And you can head over to untetheredpodcast.com to grab a copy of the show notes where you can 
also subscribe to be kept up to date on the latest podcast episodes. Big shout out to Dana McKay, podcaster extraordinaire, for editing and helping me keep this podcast alive.